This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Auth0, authentication made simple for developers. Modern authentication and identity can be hard, but Auth0 makes it easy. With Auth0, you can enable login with any social provider, have multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, and passwordless login all at the flip of a switch. Find out how to add authentication to your Angular 1 or 2 app in under 10 minutes at Auth0.com forward slash Angular. Hello and welcome to Angular Air. For those of you that have been listening to the previous episode about GraphQL and Apollo, uh, we are back uh, quicker than usual this time. Uh, our first week of doing back-to-back -back episodes, uh, but we have a really exciting one in store for you today. Uh, we have panelists Justin Schwartzberger, fresh off hosting the previous episode for Apollo. Welcome, Justin. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Made it here in time. Yeah, you're uh, pulling in overtime uh, checks this week. Yep. Glad to be and, here, though. And then also, uh, we have a new panelist that's on the show this week that uh, was a guest a couple weeks ago, Austin McDiggity McDaniel. Welcome, <laughs> Austin. Hi, everybody. And our special guest today is the esteemed Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. So, Joe, our topic for today is going to be um, Angular 1 to Angular 2 migration. But before we get started with that, there's just one point of uh, contention I wanted you to settle between the panelists here. All so, right. uh, you know, Austin was on two weeks ago. Uh, very funnily, you know, very funny that he he put on the panda mask, uh, you know, right to start off the show, and, and I, I laughed and everyone else did. Now after the show, Austin decided to uh, that he was going to name himself on Twitter NG Panda. Uh, my contention is that you are not allowed to name yourself. Give yourself a nickname. Uh, right, right. It's what, like what, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think you got to uh, defer to Seinfeld on that. When uh, George Costanza wanted the nickname of T Bone, he was working as a construction <laughs> worker and kept sort keeps ordering T Bones, and then he he got the name what Coco the Monkey. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can give yourself a, a, a name like that. You can't. You can't pick it. Somebody else. They have to give it to you. I think Justin gave it to me actually. I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you. Because I like that NG Panda, so um, I'll just go ahead and settle it right now and just give him the nickname NG Panda. For the sake of the community, there needs to be an NG Panda. <laughs> and now we have one. All right, and then uh, actually before we get into the content too, I do want to make sure I mention uh, our main sponsor for today's show. Um, Justin mentioned this in last week's episode. But John Papa and Dan Walleen are giving a two-week intensive training in Florida, October 6th and 7th. Uh, these guys are like two of the best in the industry, two of the best for sure in the Angular community. And when you go to their training, like you walk out of there really knowing your stuff. Uh, I've, I've been lucky enough to sit in a number of their trainings, and they just know what they're doing and have a really solid grasp on both uh, entry level, like how to, how to actually get you started, and if you go deep into a lot of these subjects. So if you're thinking about that you want to like go to a conference or anything like that, like those those are usually cool and like definitely encourage that. But this would be the type of thing that if you're just starting to learn in year two, you should be trying to go to this training. This is like the training to go to. October 6th and 7th, uh, go to ng-learn.com. And you can't beat that it's in Florida. That's true, yeah. Fellow resident, Austin, are you going to go to this? 
I don't know. John Papa hasn't sent me an invite yet. Uh, I was waiting to be invited. You retweet, retweet that uh, chance to win a ticket. That's right. That's right. Uh, that's true. That's true. You, you can do that. So definitely follow them on Twitter. Uh, you can chance to get a free ticket, but if not, it's well worth the money. All right. So on to today's topic, which is a big one because we are on the precipice of a huge event, the big release for Angular 2, which is coming close, almost inevitable, right, guys? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of people out there with Angular 1 apps, a lot of people that have started to migrate, some people that are thinking about it, some people are waiting for the, the release. And I guess to start off with, um, Joe, I'd be interested in your background in uh, you know, why you, you're very passionate about this subject. Um, obviously, you know a lot of people are, but I, I think I've had the deepest discussions with you about the intricacies of you know migrating existing apps and the approaches and that type of thing. So maybe kind of give us a little bit of background of like what you're doing for your day job, where you kind of run into this on a regular basis. Sure. So I've I've been almost full time a Pluralsight author now for about a year and a half, uh, which means that I spend most of my time trying to do you know education. But my background, you know, 20 years of software development has been mostly on the bigger app size side of things, right? So I'm a lot, I'm really used to big companies with big apps. And when it comes time to, you know, you got code that you want to migrate for one reason or another. And I'm really used to those typical applications where we got already got a ton of bad code we don't want anyway. We wish we could rewrite it. And now there's something new. We got to, you know, push towards something new, either a new database, new middle tier, whatever it is, right? I'm just so, that's definitely been my bread and butter uh, in my career. So when uh, I got way into the Angular scene back in like 09, and now we're coming around to Angular 2, I realized wow, there's going to be a lot of applications. There are so many applications out there written in Angular 1. And the the size of those applications is obviously ranges from a couple of hundred lines of code to, we, I know, we know of code bases that are over a quarter million lines of code. I've worked on one that was well over 100,000 lines of Angular. So there's some really big apps. Now, when you're looking at I'm an Angular 1 or I'm Angular 2, you got to decide, are we going to rewrite? Are we going to leave it alone? Are we going to migrate? And so... I kind of have those questions in my mind when Angular 2 started coming around, right? What are we going to do? What's What are people going to do? How are they going to get around? And the history is very interesting, but to kind of bring it back to why I really care about this, I started looking at what was going on and realizing that there was some really cool capabilities in the migration path, but not necessarily was there a good guide uh, telling people, here's how to get from one to two. And the things that they were telling people to do were actually really, pro- really problematic. The initial version of the documentation had uh, every had some really bad advice in it that would have made migrating for any reasonably large size application nearly impossible. So I spent a bunch of time working with the author of the documentation, uh, talking to him about the problems with the approach, working with the other pieces of people in the documentation team and a couple of the guys on the Angular team who specifically dealt with migration to try to work through this. Then I've tried to also talk to people that are doing training. So I've talked with the guys over at Thoughtroom who do training and they've, they've actually done some Angular one to two migration. So I got just, I got so interested in this whole thing. I decided to do a plural site course on it. So I've got a plural site course. that's like half done. I did the half, which was getting your Angular one code ready for Angular two, right? Which by itself can be a Herculean effort, 
you know, just getting your code ready. And there's a whole bunch of people out there talking yeah, about this sort of thing. Actually, just on that one topic, I, I think it's interesting because although there certainly are some people who early on, like, conceived of the kind of component-based view of your application and, like, even before dot .component was available, they started using directives as components. I, I definitely know some people did that. But the majority of people that I've seen rather had like the one big controller for everything, right? right? That's, the, that's the typical use case that I've seen. Yep. And it seems to me like those are like the hard ones to migrate because you have to essentially break apart your Angular 1 app into pieces before you start migrating to Angular 2. Have you, have you seen the same thing? Well, I mean, that's only partially true. It is definitely going to be an issue, but you can, you know, if you got those big, huge, nasty 500 to 2,000 line controllers, they can be migrated to Angular 2. They'll be rough. I mean, really rough. It can be done, right? But it, it comes down to really just about code maintenance. If you've got a big, huge ball of mud and you try to switch it from something to something else, no matter what it is that you're switching, even if you're switching your data access, a big, huge ball of mud is going to be a pain in the butt. So the worse that the code base is, the harder it will be to migrate simply because it's harder to, to maintain the code. Right. So it's not impossible. One of the big differences that when I talk to people and, and they ask about the big difference between one and two, it's page based architecture versus component based. And I think once you really grab that to build on what you were saying, it, it really starts to make sense and you can migrate easier. Right. I think that what we will find out in the long run is a lot of people who have these page-based architectures are going to migrate to Angular 2, and they're going to just have another page-based architecture in Angular 2, right? Fortunately, in the long run, Angular 2 pushes you to a component-based architecture and pushes you to refactor into smaller and smaller pieces. So that doesn't mean that we aren't going to have applications that have huge pieces in them and will forever. In fact, the reality is there's a lot of really big apps where people are going to start migrating and they're never going to finish. They're going to get some of the stuff moved to Angular 2 and they're going to have pieces that just aren't worth it in Angular 1 and Movie because they're too difficult to maintain. It's a feature that's not used enough or there's just no resources regardless of the other two, right? But the developers still want to work with Angular 2 on the application and that's totally possible, right? Um, you can take, in fact, if you've got an app that's all Angular 1 right now, you can leave all the existing code the way that it is and just start building Angular 2 and still have it be part of the same app. There's a few, you know, plumbing things you got to do in there to make that happen. But you can have that and never touch the original code, all that Angular 1 code again. So there's definitely a big mix. But yeah, that page versus component, it's nice that Angular 2 kind of guides you into that component. But I think that we're going to see through migrations that there are going to be people that are going to have a page-based architecture with Angular 2 because they moved an Angular 1 app over. We're going to take a quick break to hear about ThoughtRam. ThoughtRam. Extend your memory. Want to get up and running with the Angular framework, but don't have the time to read through all the documentation and tutorials on the internet? ThoughtRam's Angular Masterclass may be perfect for you. Check it out today at thoughtram.io forward slash training. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. Well, maybe let's take a step back and talk about the different types of strategies, high-level strategies here, because you actually mentioned a couple of them while you were talking about there between, you know, running, you know, an Angular 1 and Angular 2 app at the same time, you know, the going, you know, migrating everything at the same time, you know, whatever. So, so can you maybe go over, like, what are the different types of strategies that you're seeing? 
Well, obviously from a very high level, you've got three options. Option one is to completely rewrite your app in Angular 2. And that is by far your best option so long as the resources and timeline required to do it are small enough uh, or are big enough compared to the size of the application that it can be done in a very relatively short amount of time. A rewrite like this shouldn't take more than two weeks, a month on the very, very outside, because now you've got this application that you cannot touch. So imagine that scenario where we're going to go with the grand rewrite. This is, I mean, this is a story as old as software development, right? We got an app, something's new, we got to, we want to move it. How do we move it? Well, let's just freeze this one and we're going to rewrite it in the new technology. Well, what happens? What happens is 18 months down the road, you're still rewriting the new app, the old app, has been suffering from a lack of resources, but the business can't live without it. So people are still constantly pushing features into the old app. And because you have this new app in mind, the way that you put those features in is garbage. I mean, worse than what you were normally doing already before, right? Well, well right, because you're in mentally, I, I mean, I've seen this for sure before, mentally you're like, hey, this is just like temporary stuff. We're all moving to the new stuff, so why not just hack this to death? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I've, so, I think I've done that to myself a couple times. Me, right? This is becoming one of my my favorite uh, phrase or terms, but it becomes this dumpster fire, right? And you just you created the dumpster fire. You throw all the garbage in. You've lit it all up, and then you climb in and, and lay down in it, right? That's that's that scenario. <laughs> And it's a horrible scenario. So you really should definitely not do that. I think that the good guideline is maybe 10,000 lines of code. If your app is 10,000 lines of code or under, then it's probably okay to do a rewrite. If you've got a decent team size, it could be a little bit bigger, but you get much bigger than that. Rewrite's not, not going to be, especially for an important app. If you can't just take it and shelve it and nobody cares if it ever gets any new features, definitely don't consider this, right? Option two is just to leave it alone. Say it's not worth it to spend time. The application isn't that important. It's fine the way that it is. We're just going to leave it in Angular 1. We're going to continue to add new features in Angular 1. And that's actually a totally viable, a lot more viable than a lot of people give it credit for. Angular 1 is a fantastic technology. The new stuff that's come out in Angular 1.5, there's a lot of performance improvements. Oh, nice. The dumpster <laughs> fire picture. I love it. I love it. Wait, I, um, I think you're totally valid there. I mean, with... Angular 2 taking the spotlight um, and, you know, React and other frameworks or whatever. Like, definitely Angular 1 gets a bad name. But if you, like, objectively look at what's there, especially even compared to, like, you know, the old days of Angular 1 to, like, what's there with, like, 1.5 and later, um, I mean, it is a really good framework in itself. And it's simple and it's – it can be simple. Uh, you know, and especially if you, as long as you do things in that component-based way, like, I mean, we have very big Angular 1 application at GetHuman, and it is a good application. It, it performs really well. It uh, is easy to add features. So, I mean, it's definitely, but that's not, um, I think some people may discount that as an option because they worry about, like, oh, everybody has to move to Angular 2. But, no, I, I think you're totally right that it is viable. Just it's not worth migrating. Just keep maintaining it here. Right, right. Plus, plus, you have that some of that backporting going on right now, right? Or if we get some of the Angular two features into mm-hmm. Angular one, and so you really, it is a viable solution that you that you can get some of the new stuff in the old stuff and and still keep going in, yep. in that. I think one of my biggest problems that I've had, I'm actually upgrading an Angular one app, is components that I need are not quite there yet. Um, you know, whether that's in material or whatever that may be, so it kind of right. 
you kind of extend that projected, um, you know, time frame to migrate by having to build those. Right. Right. Yep. Another, another totally big issue with uh, doing the migration. So those are options one or two, right? Rewrite it, leave it alone. Option three is to migrate. And by migrate, that's a very specific term that it's almost like its own vernacular when it comes to Angular, right? In this case, specific case, that means that we're going to take the existing app and we're going to slowly convert it to Angular 2. Piece by piece, we're going to move it over to Angular 2. And during that process, what actually happens under the hood is that it's an Angular 1 application that then for certain pieces will call and run Angular 2 and tell it, hey, you handle this piece for me. But Angular 1 is like the top-level node, right? The top-level node in your HTML is owned by Angular 1. So Angular 2 is sort of subservient, in a sense, uh, to Angular 1 in that case. And you Is it possible to do the reverse, actually? I'm not sure if I tried this, but um, can you have Angular 2 as like the main thing in Angular 1 pieces? Uh, it's probably possible to have an application up and running like that, but to do the migration... Path no because there's a couple of features there's a couple of things that go on that's very important when you're running this migration and that is that you can take any Angular two component and you can make that a valid directive in Angular one without having to write any you know no more code it's just hey use this this component here in this spot so if you have like a user info panel and you know you've got a list of users that's all Angular one code but each item is supposed to be this new this user info panel you can migrate that to angular 2 and then it's called a downgrade right that user info panel is still now available within the angular 1 code base so you can take angular 2 components and downgrade them to angular 1 directives you can take angular 2 services and downgrade them to angular 1 services so any service that you write in angular 2 can be usable by an angular 1 component a controller directive controller or another service right and then you could do the reverse you can take an angular one directive and you can upgrade it so that it's callable and usable by angular two so you can have an angular two node and it you know has a repeating list of these user info panels and if the user info panels an angular one directive no problem it will still it will work just fine you just have to tell the framework that you're upgrading that Right, but you're not actually rewriting the code in Angular 2. It's still an Angular 1 directive, and the same thing with services. Angular 1 services can be called by Angular 2 components or other services available in the dependency injector for Angular 2. On top of that, there's one other important feature, and that is the change detection is correlated. So if a change happens in Angular 1, the Angular 2 change detection runs, and vice versa. When Angular 2 change detection is triggered, then the Angular 1 change detection will run. There are are potentially some bugs in this. I've encountered one that I believe is a bug uh, in this scenario, but for the most part, this that that works, and so that's another really nice feature. So you cannot do that the opposite way. Having an Angular two application with some Angular one running inside of it, you don't get that coordination of change detection, and that all happens through the magic of this Angular two component called the uh, Angular two uh, Angular upgrade is what it's called. Um, the actual name of the uh, the code object is the uh, upgrade adapter, right? So it's this magical piece that basically bootstraps and starts up Angular 1, owning the whatever the top-level node that you pointed at, and then Angular 2 
also launches and gets bootstrapped, but it doesn't, the normal Angular 2 bootstrap mode where you tell it, hey, here's my module and here's the top level component. You don't do that. You don't give Angular 2 a top level component. You just tell it you're up and available, but you're now here getting, you're basically getting told which components belong to you. And Angular 1 is going to go and call over to you and say, all right, I need this component. I need the service, et cetera. So it acts as a very subservient piece. So that's only possible in the other way where you have an Angular 1 app and it's Angular 2 running within it and you slowly move it over. So what it actually happened? kind of reminds me of the Angular to React uh, mm-hmm. uh, like components that people have developed in the past. Right, right, right. Yeah, kind of a similar, a, a little bit of a similar thing, right? Obviously a lot better tie together, right? But a little bit of a similar thing. So what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think it gets the devil's in the details, like because it gets tricky. Like, okay, I'm, I'm working on an application, and you know, let's say we we say, okay, we're going to maintain this application, um, but uh, as like new stuff comes up, we'll build an Angular two, and we'll like uh, have just like you're saying, um, slowly convert it, basically. And, but the tricky part comes with when you're making in that approach and you're making a change for one set of things, where do you draw the line? Because it can be very slippery slope of like, okay, um, you know, oh, I, I maybe it'll help for this one particular change to migrate over these like uh, ten services or something like that, or mm-hmm. eleven services. Oh, why don't I do more or whatever else? So, have you seen that as like a problem of like managing? Um, like, do you try to be more aggressive or less aggressive in what you change with any given, like, um, iteration? So my goal with talking to people about migration is to propose and talk about the safest possible path, right? This is some for you've got a mission-critical application with hundreds of thousands of lines of code, and you might and, – and it's not code that – is the best code, right? Maybe there's some brittle, large balls of mud in there somewhere, right? So you've got, and I think that's a realistic scenario, right? Uh, we're all used to applications that have code that we're not necessarily uh, as proud of today as we were when they were originally written, or they, you know, they grew out of necessity into something that now we're like kind of embarrassed by and wish they could be rewritten, right? That's a fairly realistic scenario. And in an important application like that, I want people to be able to make the smallest, uh, safest amount of changes necessary. So that was kind of the crux of what I went through when I was talking with the documentation team on the Angular.io site and the Angular team themselves was, hey, the proposed plan that you've got is way too high risk. And any company with uh, architects or lead developers worth their salt will look at this, do some experimentation and discover this is this is potentially way too risky. We just can't even risk it. So um, I helped kind of pioneer together a different set of steps to go through so that it's a much smaller set of changes right up until basically the very end when you have to switch over your routing from one to two. But until that point, it's very small, very uh, specific changes. So in that case, I would highly recommend that somebody, you just convert one thing at a time Never more than one thing. So it's either one directive gets upgraded, one service gets upgraded, and then you test, right? You run your unit test, you run your integration test, you run your manual tests, Wait, make sure everything's what, working. What, what, what <laughs> right. Uh, yep. Yep. Well, but um, what you're saying is logical from the sense of keeping things safe. 
Um, but the downside is that that can take a longer period of time. Um, so it depends, I guess, on what your ultimate goals, long-term goals are. And, and like, like you mentioned, for bigger companies where they have this you know, high-profile app, totally makes right. sense. Um, sometimes, for certain environments, it might make sense to, to be more aggressive, um, depending. Yeah, so as long as somebody knows the safest, slowest way to go, then they can start taking bigger steps, right? Like, oh, maybe we'll convert or migrate. Uh, I, I call it a, a upgrade, uh, not upgrade or migrate, because that's kind of the uh, thing, the uh, terminology that they use for the existing stuff that stays in place and works both ways. Uh, but they maybe they convert a larger set, right? We're going to convert these four these four services, or this page involves these five components. We're going to migrate uh, or upgrade them all, uh, convert them all to Angular two altogether, and then test. I think the developers are going to have a good feel for how complex the code is, and at what point they're going to want to say, "I'm going to take this in a slower step." Uh, because you're you're not going to get into that you're going to get into that rabbit hole where okay I converted five things that's broken I fixed that or that problem and then there's another underlying problem and I keep fixing and or I get a problem that I just can't even figure out what broke and now I have to go backwards unback all my changes out and then start with a smaller you only do that a couple of times before you realize oftentimes it's slower to go faster right so you got to get that feel and that a developer's going to have to learn to get that feel right. Um, I've been converting like a relatively small application from Angular 1 to 2. And even in that, I ended up making fairly small changes and testing because it wasn't too hard to go and test a feature on a small app. And then it let me know that I hadn't screwed anything up. So if I go convert the next piece, that the error I'm seeing isn't, doesn't have anything to do with the previous one. And I can't, t- there's enough steps involved in converting any given piece that it's easy to miss them. Like really it's almost great to have like a list. Okay, I got, if I'm converting a directive and changing it to Angular 2, I've got to do these seven steps, right? And have that list because it's easy to forget one of them and then get a funny error, right? Uh, and there's a lot of complexities that have to do with converting from your TypeScript code down to JavaScript. And now you're, or, ignoring that code and your angular one is probably just in JavaScript. So now you've got all these JavaScript files. And if you, as you rename objects to match the naming scheme of angular two, those, if you don't go around and clean up that old compiled JavaScript code, then it'll still be sitting there on the disk and potentially still get called if you don't clean up the references to it, right? So if you if you have a control uh, directive, say that's called like the user panel, and you change it over to an Angular two component, you'll probably rename that rename that from user panel.js to user panel.component.ts. Well, the old user panel.js still exists, and if somewhere there's a reference like in your index.html file, you still got a script tag pointing at it, then the code's still going to be called, and you get these weird errors like, hey, I can't find this, or this isn't working, and you're like but that's not supposed to be happening. And you just bang your head against the wall, right? There's so many little nuances and complexities to it uh, that you quickly learn the common mistakes, but man, it can be, it can be difficult. So uh, I don't imagine a lot of people will do migrations and find that, wow, we can go really fast. We can convert 10 things at a time before we stop and check and see how our work's going. I think most people will find that one or two is about the max and they'll stop and check. And there's a lot of places where there's really different paradigms and so it can be even more difficult, right? Is there a chance that people might get stuck into a scenario where they say, okay, I'm going to migrate. 
uh, let's take this on and it becomes something so big or over time and, and, and they're at maybe as they go through that process, they've got some in Angular 1, some in Angular 2 and it's working and it's functional um, that they just settle in and, and sit with it that way long term and just oh, never absolutely. go to the finish line. And it, I mean, is that going to be a, a concern or I mean, would you say, hey, if you're taking this on, have the desire that you're going to make it to the finish line or hey, take it on and, and it's going to be OK if you maybe don't get there? Right. I think it's totally fine to not get there, right? Like, imagine you're a developer at a company and it's got a big, this big app, right? And it's, your, it's important and they can't rewrite it and you want to migrate it. And you come up with this plan that says, hey, you don't have to pass off on the idea that we're going to spend a million dollars rewriting, migrating this app. Let's just do a switch over to Angular 2 so that the upgrade adapter is in place. We can start writing Angular 2 components, and that's going to take us, you know, three days with testing time, right? All I have to do is get into buy off on that. And then at that point, you can say, we can still rewrite everything in Angular 1, right? The app's okay. You got this very nice way for to get buy off with your company. And obviously, corporate buy off matters a lot in projects like this. So if you can't get uh, easier corporate buy off, you might be, you might never get the project off the ground. So that's a really nice thing is you can get corporate buy-off for, hey, we're going to make a very small change and just enable Angular 2 in our application. We're not going to rewrite anything in Angular 2. And then over time, either, uh, I mean, I'm sure that you guys have been on development teams where you're switching something over and you have a lot of different strategies for what are we going to do? Are we going to just, well, anytime we're going to refactor you know, maintain or make some changes, add some new features, then we'll rewrite that piece in Angular 2. But other than that, we won't be rewriting. You know, we don't have no master plan where we're going to take specific steps to rewrite Angular 2. That's going to be very common. And I think we're going to see that a lot. So we're, I think we're going to see in four years, five years down the road, plenty of applications that are still a fair amount of Angular 1 code because that was their strategy. Of course, the strategy might be, hey, we're going to, you know, devote 20% of our resources to rewriting and the other 80% is adding new features, right? So eventually we're going to get there and we don't know exactly how long that'll take or maybe we, you know, we make a plan for how long that'll take, but eventually we're going to get there. And of course, some people are going to be like, all right, we're going to put this on a four month deadline. We're going to get this whole thing converted within four months and we're going to minimize the amount of new features we put in. We're only going to do bug fixes and super critical features. So that way, by the time that you're done, of course, it's 12 months down the road because <laughs> nothing ever goes according to plan. But, right, you at least have, you've at some point converted over. But I don't think there's any problem at all with running the two side by side because it's certainly no worse off than you were with just an Angular 1 application, right? And potentially... So I was going to say in Angular 2, you know, we talk about like, you know, tree shaking to minimize, you know, download size and stuff like that. I mean, is running both in parallel, is that going to be a concern, you know, with the amount that you have to download for just client libraries? Right. So um, certainly there'll be some additional client libraries, but uh, if you do ahead of time compilation, right, then the uh, Angular 2 client library is already very small. Of course, then you might be adding in, oh, well, now we're going to use, you know, Firebase 2 or this other version, you know, the 2 version of this library. So, yeah, that could potentially be a concern. But most, you know, there's only a few libraries that are very specific to the version of Angular, right? At least there's very few Angular 2 specific versions of any library out right now. Ionic, uh, Material, and Firebase, those are the only three that I know of that are very specific to Angular 2. So we might see more in the future where you're saying we're 
we're going to add Angular 2 and now there's these 10 new components we could bring in and you have to make that decision at that point. But you still have, at least with your Angular 2 code, you have the option to start doing tree shaking and lazy loading on pieces of that, which, you, I mean, doing that in Angular 1 is technically possible, <laughs> right? But not the, not the most pleasant thing in the world by any means. Definitely not. Yeah. We're going to break for a moment for a message from Angular Class. This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Angular Class. If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques, or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. Actually, uh, one variation of what you're saying that I, I'm doing actually at Get Human is we're actually not touching the UI layer just yet, other than experiments and like some prototypes. Mm-hmm. And most of our migration is with the service le- level. So we're actually pushing, um, you know, refactoring our Angular 1 app, you know, trying to push stuff to uh, more of like the service layer. And when you do that, um, you don't need ng-migrate or anything to encompass your things because you can just author um, in mostly, you know, plain JavaScript for the most part uh, with, with Angular 2 DI, um, but then publish it in such a way that, um, at least with the way we're doing it, that uh, you can get it to publish it so that it works in both. Interesting. I think, yeah, most people deal with the UI right up front, which requires, like, the ng-migrate thing. It, which, um, is there uh, performance hits when you are running them both? Um, so uh, that's a definitely a very common question is what is going to be the performance hit if I'm running Angular 2 and Angular 1 together? So the first thing to understand, one, um, is that Angular 2 is extremely comp- performant in comparison to Angular 1, right? Uh, so much faster and at least an order of magnitude faster, right? Yep. Sorry. Um, it's at least an order of magnitude faster. So the question then is if I'm running the two together, Where's the slow piece? Well, the slow piece is going to be in your Angular 1 code that's already there, right? Adding on a really, really, really fast framework onto your slow framework is not going to make things worse. There's a small amount of overhead between the coordination of the two, especially when it comes to change detection. But really, your slowdown is going to be the fact that I've got some code that's in Angular 1, and that code could be really running really fast, but because it's waiting around for the Angular the, sorry, the code in Angular 2 could be running really fast, but because the change detection causes the Angular 1 change detection to fire, then I've got that extra slowdown. So, yeah, you've got this potential problem that the Angular 2 code is running slow, but it's not going to be any worse than your already ex- existing Angular 1 code was to, anyway, right? So you're not making it worse. You're not making it slower. Yeah, I guess it's just the initial... Download size would be bigger. Yeah, you got. That, yeah, you've got that. It's going to be a, a, a little bit bigger, but again, Angular two has really pared their framework size down, especially if you use ahead of time compilation. Um, even if you don't use ahead of time compilation, I don't think that very many people are going to find. Oh wow, this was, uh, you know, all of a sudden I've made my app ten times slower because Angular one is a fairly slow framework anyway. And most people have found that as slow as it is, it still works just fine, right? There, you can get into some scenarios fairly easily where it really makes things slow and you have to either dig in and tune it or 
uh, abandon your strategy or something else. But in general, it's just fine. So if you're already at like, I mean, I was running on an application that was a two meg download. And you go and you add all the Angular 1 libraries, you're adding less than 1K, right? So you're adding another 5% to your initial download. Sorry, not 1K, 100K. <laughs> not 1K. So you're adding less than 100K worth of additional code, right? So, yeah, you're adding 5% to your initial download. If you're adding 5%, really, is your concern the size? The concern was, is that, wow, Angular 1 made it really hard to break this up and lazy load. If we move to Angular 2, we can start taking those that big, huge two megabyte initial download, converting it over to Angular 2, and then start using utilizing lazy loading uh, ahead of time compilation so that that code's even smaller than it was anyway. And now you can actually start making performance improvements on your application. One of the thing that one of the things that I'm doing, um, you know, Jeff said that he was, you know, just moving the services layer. I'm actually doing the opposite, where I'm just moving the components over. And I'm leveraging all the same, you know, HTTP layers and that type of thing that I have in Angular 1. And I've got great interceptors for error handling and uh, authorization and stuff like that. So I can still leverage all that same code like that. So I'm actually not downloading the whole Angular 2 package. I'm just commenting components. So, hmm. again, you know, your download size is decreased even more by that with tree shaking and things like that. Interesting. Are you using the uh, upgrade adapter to run the hybrid app, or are you creating a, a process boundary? Uh, I'm using upgrade adapter. Awesome. Oh, what a cool... So I've got HTTP, Angular 1 HTTP injected into my Angular 2 right. components, and it works really well like that. Hmm. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's a huge impedance point between Angular 1 and Angular 2 is just converting your HTTP that by itself, you know, when you're using resource or HTTP, Angular 1 is all based on promises and Angular 2 is all based on observables. And that's kind of the real crux of the problem between the two is the observables and promises, even though they solve the same problem, they solve them in different ways. And uh, you really start to have to learn RxJS uh, from a, a lot deeper level than I would hope. I, I would have thought you would have to learn it, but you got to start learning it really well in order to migrate pieces of Angular 1 to Angular 2 and yet have them work still with other pieces of Angular 1. That could be really problematic. So, Joe, I have a crazy scenario okay. to throw at you. So I, I have this humongous app, okay, Angular 1 app, and I have no tests, like like literally zero lines of tests. Right. I know this is crazy because like, it, it's like hard to imagine that this would ever actually occur. But let's just, oh, yeah, so let's hard. Let's just kind of imagine. Now, one of the keys in doing this kind of piecemeal is, I, I think, uh, you know, being able to validate that when you move one piece over that it uh, exists, uh, that it doesn't break anything. So what is your suggestion in this crazy scenario that, uh, you know, there's no existing tests of how you would actually go about safely doing something like that? Well, you've probably already got an existing process up and running, you know, and I'm certain that obviously that centers around manual tests, right? So if you're, you're already working with the code, uh, assuming this isn't some dead project that all of a sudden because Angular 2 came out, you're like, hey, they know that project we haven't touched in 18 months? Let's go migrate it. You know, at that point, what was the, what's the purpose of migrating? Obviously, that's not a fairly common scenario. The common scenario is we're in the middle of building our Angular 1 code. So we know some pieces really well. We have some other pieces we don't know well. Then we have some pieces that are just plain brittle, right? And if we have zero automated tests, how are we doing our migration anyway? That's the same 
or sorry, how are you doing our maintenance? That's the same path you're going to take to do the Angular 2 migration is whatever you're doing for your existing code to make sure that when you add a new feature, you haven't broken anything or do some maintenance, you haven't broken anything. Um, how do you how do you know? And you're going to just adopt those same methods. So that's what's in this case kind of nice is you don't necessarily have to change anything that you're really doing. You don't have to do all new kind. You don't, you don't have to switch over to a whole bunch of end-to-end tests or automated tests. Uh, of course, that would be good. But the likelihood is if you're not doing them now, you're not going to create the priority to do them in the future. So just keep doing what you're doing. Keep dealing with all the same problems that you're dealing with without the automated tests. But at least your boss is happy because he thinks you're not writing the code twice. Hey, on this HTTP stuff, like, is it a real scenario where you're going to run into, people are going to run into, like, do you have to have two of those running at the same time, really, when you're talking about Angular 1's HTTP service, and you want to do things like interceptors and stuff like that, and HTTP, and Angular 2 is a little bit different, so do you find people that are, are you going to say, like, you should go and change that right away, and then make everything else use the one or the other, or are you running them side by side, and now have to maintain those things if you're doing this migration with HTTP? HTTP. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. You know, that would be an interesting scenario. You definitely have to do a little bit of investigation to decide what might be best for your project, right? The likelihood is is that you're going to be making HTTP calls from enough places that trying to make a wholesale change to them will be very difficult. So running the two in parallel is far more likely. We're going to be taking our Angular 1 HTTP with whatever interceptors we've thrown up, and we're going to start implementing basically the same code, duplicating that code for Angular 2 and dealing with it however we deal with it in, in Angular 2. Uh, there's, a, there's a few other pieces of Angular 1 that aren't dissimilar. For example, you cannot convert pipes. Uh, pipes cannot be migrated. They can't run. You can't have the same exact, you know, in Angular 1, they're called a filter. In Angular 2, they're called a pipe. You can't have the same code base that acts as an, a pipe in Angular 2 and a filter in Angular 1 just doesn't work. So if you've got any complex filters, as you go to migrate them or convert them over to Angular 2, you're going to have to duplicate the code and then have these two pieces of code that simultaneously have to be maintained. Fortunately, pipes are a fairly small uh, piece of most Angular 2 applications, so it's usually not going to be a problem. The other piece that is not migratable are decorator directives. So for anybody who's out there and uh, isn't sure what a decorator directive is, uh, Angular has three different kinds of directives, and this is actually true of both Angular 2 and Angular 1, although in both cases, they don't actually always refer to the type, these types of directives the same, uh, or they don't talk to them about them a lot. So you have your uh, very common, the, the directives that we're used to writing are component directives, which is it's a directive that has a template and it's represented by some element that I stick somewhere in my HTML. That's, that's a component directive. Those are the ones that we mostly author as programmers. Then you've got decorator directives, which don't have a template and they're represented by an attribute. And they add some kind of new capability to a DOM. We write very few of those on our, ourselves. You might occasionally write some, but generally we write very few, but we use them a lot. For example, ng-click is a perfect example of decorator directive because it adds new functionality to a DOM node. Now it is able to listen to a click event, right? Or other event listeners are great examples of that. The third type are structural directives, which the good examples are ng-repeat, ng-if. They're uh, directives that manipulate the DOM in a meaningful way by adding and removing nodes. So we have those three types of directives. We almost almost never write structural directives. ng-repeat and ng-if pretty much cover all the scenarios that we, we deal with, right? So... Uh, 
that you almost never have to worry about. Then most of your code is component directives, and those ones convert no problem. You can have an Angular one component directive, and that's this is true whether or not you're. Ta- I'm talking a directive that's just a regular old directive with an uh, represented by an element. You know, the restrict attribute set to E, and it has a template, right? Or if you're using the new Angular 1.5 component, which is really just shorthand for creating a component directive, right? It just, it's syntactic sugar. They're exactly the same thing. So they're using one or the other. Those things migrate easily. You can pick whichever ones you want and you start using them in Angular 2 code. Then you can rewrite them over to Angular 2 and then downgrade them so that they can still be used in Angular 1. The third type, which is those direct decorator directives, which are just an attribute that you stick on an existing DOM element to give it new functionality, those cannot be upgraded or downgraded. So if you're going to have two, if you, go, if you have a lot of those or any complex ones, you have to completely rewrite them in Angular 2. And while they're being used in both frameworks, you have to have both code bases and maintain both uh, pieces. And then eventually when the original one's no longer used at all by any Angular 1 code, it's only used by Angular 2 code, you can finally delete it and get rid of it. One other thing that... Um those direct those Angular One directives that have all those fancy things that no one seems to know all the different lifecycle books. Those yeah. always don't migrate very well either. That's important right. to know. Yep, quite true, quite true. And you can easily get into a scenario where you got a directive that does something crazy with Angular One, and it'll be problematic and difficult to rewrite it in Angular Two. But um, you know, eventually they all have, they both have the same capabilities, so you can figure them out. So we're getting near the top of the hour, and I have uh, you know one last question for you, Joe. It's maybe a big question. I don't know we can okay. Ending, um, before we get to picks. So there is two, yeah, two. Oh my God, two years ago now, when Angular two was first announced at uh, Angular Connect two years ago. I, mean, I can't believe how much time has gone by. Mm-hmm. But right from the start, they sort of laid out. Um, I mean, it's been modified somewhat, but they laid out the at least general approach here that they were going to be rewriting Angular, ground up. And you know, at first, actually, the prospects were even more scary than they are today. <laughs> they had no idea how you would migrate from one to the other, right. and they were just sort of like, "Yeah, we'll figure it out." And, and I think, in retrospect, they you know, there's some probably way that they presented that information that probably could have been. Uh, improved, but um, the reality is that uh, it the legitimate thing was trying to make a big leap forward, which is like ultimately the way that they're they're thinking, right? The difference is, and you could see this difference in another framework is with Ember actually. So Ember also wanted to make a big leap forward, and they saw what uh, Angular did, and you can argue. Maybe they didn't get as far as Angular 2 did or whatever, but they did at the very least take a methodical different approach where they said, no, we are not going to just, you know, force, you know, to do any sort of migration. We're going to still build for this like far future, but do it incrementally so you can legitimately just keep on upgrading in small updates your, your existing, um, your Ember app to this 2.0 version. So what are your thoughts just in general, like now in retrospect that we're close to the release and this approach versus like sort of what Ember's approach uh, is, should uh, it have been done uh, differently? Like what are your thoughts just in general of like what happened here? 
Well, certainly there's a lot of things that were done that could have been done better, right? Uh, the way different announcements were made, even the timing of the announcements so far ahead of the curve when there was nothing to show, there's all kinds of problems. But if it comes down to the judgment call, should they have just made Angular 1 move into and become Ang- what Angular 2 is now or put the new... Uh, Angular 2 uh, at Framework. And you know, as uh, Austin says, hindsight is always twenty twenty. You can look back and see the mistakes. Um, I'm sure that one of the guys on the Angular team that looks at the framework would probably have a better opinion as to, oh, well, we either could have or we couldn't have, right? Like it would be too much of a change. Angular 1 just would never have possibly been, you know, it, it would never have been possible with Angular 1 to really convert it to Angular 2 or not. Obviously, it's it's nice. It'd be nice if we could just have these forward migrations that have small breaking changes, you know, so that by the time you get to Angular 1.15, it's now what Angular 2 is today. That would be nice. Um, but I think that because of the way that the migration path works, like this is a unique migration path. Uh, mostly you have one of two options. You either have a new version that has some breaking changes. You just, when you convert, you got to go back and fix those breaking changes and that's it. Or you have an entirely new framework that there is no real migration path. You create some kind of process boundaries, right? And you do some wizardry if you have somebody super crazy smart on your team. But other than that, you're just left with a big rewrite, right? Those are your only real two scenarios. So this is a very unique scenario that you can actually have an application and slowly migrate a piece at a time to the new framework. And I think that's pretty cool, right? Um, So I really like the migration path that we've got today. If I could wave a magic wand and say, hey, I want Angular 1.6 to basically just be Angular 2, but be backwards compatible with, you know, other than maybe a couple of small breaking changes, that would be great. Obviously, that's that's really not a reality, right? There'd have to be some major changes. Just as an example, I think this is a great example. Angular 1 and ES6 modules, they hate each other the way Trump and Hillary hate each other, right? (laughs) (laughs) You've got to make so many changes to use ES6 modules in Angular 1. And today, you want to be looking towards using ES6 modules. Obviously, not a lot of code is written in ES6 modules compared to all the JavaScript code that's been put out there. But the ability to, you know, more easily lazy load and tree shake and just have easier code that works better and be able to start using ES6 and ES7 features and that ES6 modules are a great thing. We want modules in our code and Angular 1 hates them. So just the migration to path to get Angular 1 so it doesn't hate ES6 modules is already a big thing and going to have some fairly big sweeping breaking changes. I think by the time we were done with that slow, you know, migration process, it would have been fairly similar to just this migration process they've already outlined. So I'm really happy with it. I like the way it is. So my judgment call would be hindsight being what it is, the path that we've got right now is a pretty good path. The only thing that could be nicer is routing migration. That's the big pain in the butt. When it comes right to the very end, you got to switch over from Angular 1, Angular 2 routing. That's your big, huge, that's going to be the biggest single unit of work you're going to have to do. So if they had a better way to do that, that would be a nice improvement. Yeah, and I... Oh, go ahead. I said, isn't that coming? I, I, I've heard talk about a Angular 1 router that employs, you know, the Angular 2 concepts in a future release of Angular 2, actually. 
So it'll be interesting if it's like components where, hey, we're going to make it look like it, but the actual migration is no easier than it was the other way, you know, other than maybe some small code changes, um, right? But do, do you still have to basically take wholesale, take every route and convert them to something else and then turn them on and then just hope that your routes now work? And, and it's not just routes like Resolve. People use Resolve a lot in Angular 1 and in Angular 2, you can use them, but the documentation is pretty much non-existent and they're very, very, very difficult to use. And the way that they work together with Resolve uses promises and Angular 2 uses observables kind of for Resolve, its version of Resolve. There, there's just a lot of work there. So we'll see. The, the jury's still out on that one. I hope it's much better than it is, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll definitely have a full show on routing coming up. Uh, that's a huge topic in itself. Right. So let's get to picks. We're right at the top of the hour. And uh, Austin, why don't you start off? Um, TypeScript 2.0 RC was released last week. Everyone should definitely check that out. Some of the bigger things that uh, it really uh, helps address is uh, type acquisition. So no more TSD, TSD, TSD and typings and things like that. It's kind of all built in now. Cool. That's awesome. Justin, do you have any more picks or do you use them all up in the last show? No, I spread them out. So my pick for this show is uh, John Papa posted on his blog um, an article about uh, introducing Angular modules, the root module. He does a really good job of breaking down uh, the ng module metadata and its properties and what they're used for. Uh, so definitely check that out. Cool. Thanks. And Joe, what about you? Um, so... I would definitely like to, I, I've mentioned it several times, but my course like really breaks things down and gives like this, you know, 15 step plan for migrating. So obviously that's a really good thing to look at. If you don't want to pay for it, you can go get a free uh, license for a, a week or so and zip through it. Uh, but it only prepares you the second part where we're actually converting to Angular 2. I won't start recording until Angular 2 releases. And so it'll still be a little bit uh, before that's available. But for a fun pick, I recently binge watched the TV show Stranger Things. And hopefully you've already heard this from other people, but it is an amazing show. Absolutely take some time. It's only like eight episodes, but it is super awesome. Check it out. Amazing show. I started watching it this weekend too. It's pretty uh, good so far. Yeah, it really is. It's it's super cool. I loved it. Loved every bit of it. That's awesome. I haven't seen it yet, so I'll definitely put that on my list. Yeah, check it out on Netflix. Cool. All right. And uh, just a quick note that uh, before my pick, uh, next week we have the Meta Show, basically um, a show about creating content, uh, and especially podcasts like this one. Um, but also other stuff we're going to have uh, Carlos and Lucas on uh, to help us. So that's going to be a great show. Definitely tune in. Uh, for my pick, I'm actually um, picking – it's just something inter- interesting that I saw that um, in – there's somebody who created a PureScript library. PureScript is just a typed um, JavaScript um, type language that um, – you know, is it built on the premise of trying to do pure functional programming? So no classes, everything functions. And I, it was interesting that I noticed somebody came out with this idea of uh, generics or, or proxies or whatever. That basically, it, it, what from what I see, 
almost exactly look like um, Angular 2 dependency injection. Uh, so because dependencies is a, a big problem when you get uh, the bigger the app that you have, if you have a huge app, um, managing your dependencies becomes really hard. And, I, and I've always thought that dependency injection is a great solution for that. But um, in functional programming, although it's great at the small level, as it gets bigger, uh, it gets harder. And so it's just interesting to see these kind of worlds con converging in functional programming and implementing something, in my mind, which is just like Angular 2 dependency injection. Um, so I'll put a link for that and check it out. All right, uh, that's it for today. Everyone have a great day, and we'll see you next week. Cool. It says we're still live. It says we're still live. Hey, everybody. We're still live. Thanks, Justin. Extended, yeah. Thank yep. you for joining us. Yeah, this is the, this is the, the cut scenes right here. <laughs> <laughs> the bonus DVD section. All right. All right. See ya. See ya.